All right. Good morning, Memphis. Welcome to your weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. My name is Anna Ellis. I am here with my teammate, friend, partner in crime, Christy Mullen. Good morning, Kristen. It is I, Christy Mullen. How Christy. are you? You did call me Kristen. I, just, I don't know why I just Interesting. did that. I was like looking at your eyes and it just told me to say Kristen. You know my mother. So my name is Christy. Christy is not short for really? anything. Yeah, my oh. name is Christy. But my mom, when she is to this day, I am a 33-year-old woman, but when she I say something that is shocking to her as like a southern Mississippi woman or I just say something that she doesn't approve of it's always Christina she's like Christina I thought your name was Christina no I mean I've, I've said long oh, I've always said we have two Christinas on the team so no I've my name is Christy straight up Christini Christini I just said my own name wrong I was like well you can't ever yell at me again for messing up your name <laughs> it was the Christina actually Christini is really great <laughs> I like Christini it's like crustini vanilla. <laughs> I was going to say it's either like a nice appetizer or like a really fruity martini. And actually, that would be the name of a very good restaurant. So I'm going to need somebody, a restaurateur in Memphis, if you're listening and need a muse. I'm here right? for you. Just like opening a Christini's. <laughs> like a Christini. Well, we've gotten sidetracked immediately You're at, the, at the top of this program. Memphis. So as I was saying, uh, this is your weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. We come to you every week on either WYXR FM Radio 91.7. Thank you to them for hosting this wonderful show. We also drop this uh, as a podcast once a week on Tuesday mornings at 9.01 a.m. Um, and what we do here every week is we bring you guests who are, from our perspective, um, really uh, – bringing forward new ideas in our city, helping shape Memphis's future for the better. Um, so we have folks from artists, academics, nonprofit leaders, government leaders, uh, entrepreneurs, just all the folks that I think make Memphis really special. And again, I think really showcase um, how we're how we're leading with, you know, kind of some of the best talent, some of the best ideas in the Bluff City. So this week is no different. Yeah. Um, we have... <laughs> Every every week when I, Christy asked me to do this, you struggle every it's week. It's a TED episode. I've been practicing and in the mirror at home, just it. like slapping myself when I get it wrong. <laughs> it's a TED episode. So um, again, additional context. We also host a local TED conference. You might be familiar with TED Talks. Um, we produce a local TED conference where we invite uh, people from our community to share their big ideas. Um, so our guest today is both a past TED speaker. So you're going to get the special treat of listening to them and sort of understanding their perspectives. And then we're going to listen to their TED Talk. So yeah. well, I'm being very mysterious about who this person is. I, I, I'm like, and it's Michael Jordan. Come on in, Michael. <laughs> oh, the Space Jam theme just plays. <laughs> Although now, speaking of Space Jam, I know I'm getting us off track again, but it's what I do, Memphis. So... Have you seen the new Space Jam? Christy, um, what do you think the answer to that question is? The answer is, is no. I, too. So like, <laughs> like, look me in the eyes and tell me what you think. You know, you're not a big fan of LeBron? Well, let me just say this. I, I We had um, a friend of mine's 40th birthday was this weekend, and I hosted a party at our home. We have a pool. So, um, you know, over the afternoon, I had friends over, and my husband, who can only deal with, like, an hour or so of party at a time, <laughs> um, retreated upstairs at some point around, like, 8.30 on Saturday evening. It's dark. I walk upstairs to like just check on him, be like, hey, how's it going? And he is like curled up in bed with the dogs watching Space Jam 2. And I was like, so are you watching Space Jam? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. It's like you're the one in the wrong. Like, and why then I left the room. <laughs> I love it. So, so I haven't watched it yet, but I am very intrigued by the fact that they've brought it back. So it's like, I, I just, I want to know why. Like who, who asked for it? And I assume, I, I mean, I, I, this is not. This sounds like a personal affront. I'm you like, have a personal I assume vendetta. you. I assume you wanted it, but like, I don't. I I I assume that my my husband is a sports fan, so like, yeah. you know, I'm sure. I don't. I mean, he's also like probably too old to have watched. I mean, I say that. What he might have been watching Space Jam one like at 22, just like <laughs> in his dorm room. I don't know. Um, but I, yeah, I don't understand who it's for. To be fair, the original Space Jam soundtrack also slapped real hard. So many hits on that thing. I'm 100% certain that's not true. <laughs> I am 1,000% certain it is true. I need everyone to email into the show, info at newmovies.org, and tell Anna Mullins-Ellis how wrong she is in your favorite hit from the classic Space Jam CD. <laughs> yeah, I think just a just a uh, really simple thumbs up, thumbs down poll for Space Jam will do us just to get a sense of... No, I, I think even just as a young kid, I knew that like Looney Tunes like were just like just deeply uncool. Weren't for you. And I don't know how that idea got seated, but I was like, yeah, that's not cool. Like, I think just like you know the kid, and this might have been you. So like again, <laughs> gird yourself. Just personally right, affront me today. Just like the kid <laughs> yeah. in the lunchroom, 
with like a leather Looney Tunes uh, jacket, you know? And you were like, yeah, that's not for me. <laughs> so I will say I never owned any Looney Tune clothing items, although respect to Tweety Bird. I think I just identified with Tweety because it's like this little blonde thing that has like this little voice. But also Tweety Bird is like, do not come for me, man. And I think, you know, that is where also I had like three cable channels growing up for a bit of time. And so Looney Tunes was like one of the only things that was on like on Saturday morning. So I also just respect, you know, Michael Jordan the hustle back in that you're also not a huge sports person, correct? It's true. I'm the only person left uh, in the United States at this point <laughs> who has not watched The Last Dance. Yes. But I. But now, not like what it's been a year. Um, it was like the darling of the pandemic, mm-hmm. the like early pandemic, like watching. Yeah. It was like that and like Tiger King, and I was like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that because oh, ten hours of sports documentary, no. But <laughs> now I feel like I've, I feel like I've missed out. Yeah. See? I also I. <laughs> When I was in, I think, fifth grade, fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade, um, I lived in Kansas City, Kansas, not Missouri. <laughs> just the, un- the uncool. Thank you for specifying. <laughs> it's important. Because um, if you if I said I was from Kansas City, Missouri, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. I'd be like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm from a suburb of Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, which, yeah, I mean, I think that's, you're like, yeah, that tracks. Um, but when I was <laughs> when I was in like fourth or fifth grade, my church youth group went on a mission trip to Chicago. Okay. Which just, again, I'm trying to, like, contextualize this just, like, suburban white kid being like, yeah, like, we're going to go on a mission trip to just a different city. Like, we didn't even go into our own city to help. I don't know. Yeah. There's lots of weird politics that I look back on and think about. There's some nuances there. But while we were in Chicago, I'd never been to Chicago. I was a kid. I was there with, like, other kids. And I felt really cool. And the the Chicago Bulls won a a championship. I assume one of I, I like assume, they won something. I assume one of the many that are referenced in the last dance. Um, so I knew that that had happened, and we were like all of us kids were like in this sort of like it was sort of like a dorm. It was like a high rise in downtown Chicago, and people lost their minds. Like people were on the street, like things were on fire. People were just like, but just like revelry. And I remember being like sports people really care about <laughs> sports and i didn't so that is my that it's is my also michael jordan like story. space jam it is one of those things that you just don't inherently identify with and i i might i mean i'm a little bit older than you and i feel yeah. like i don't remember when space jam came out but i might have just been like right, right on, the on the cusp, cusp of, of being, being too like, old for it uh-huh, yeah. yeah because you're yeah that's valid and fair yeah. Um, sorry, guys. We went on a real big tangent because... I was like, uh, <laughs> write into us, uh, info at New Memphis, on y- yeah. uh, your thoughts on Space Jam. Yes. But before we do that, let's get back to <sighs> what we really do. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm going to get serious again, Memphis. We have an amazing episode today. It's and our guest seriously is, insane how amazing it is. Um, somebody that is just so impressive and somebody that I have, have looked up to. Uh, very much wanted her to give a TED Talk um, because I, I knew just of her work and her presence. And so we're thrilled to have her in the studio. Christy, who is she? Who is she? Yes, guys, today's guest is the phenomenal multi- multidisciplinary artist and co-founder of her own actual production house that aims to focus on the stories of black women and queer folks. Um, it's Nubia Yassin, and she is here with us today, and she's going to talk about her 2020 TEDx Memphis talk titled The Placemaker, The Missionary, and The Conqueror. And guys, when I tell you you're in store for like a very powerful and meaningful TED episode, Anna, see how easily it rolls off the tongue sometimes. Um, but guys, as you're listening to this, you are just in for such a treat. Nubian Nubia is just such a cool person. I know I use that word overly, but she is like she is the epitome no, of cool. She's very cool. She is like someone. She's I'm like, the antithesis of Space Jam. Yes, she. Well, she, I was going. I thought you were going to say me, and I'm like, I, I know I'm not cool like at all. Um, but guys, she just is here. She's going to talk about it. The way she approached her TED Talk is so awesome, and I'm just not going to really keep you guys from it anymore because it's not fair. So how about we roll into it, Anna? Let's do it. We are super excited because Nubia is here with us in studio. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. I am so happy you're here. Uh, I was just giving everyone a little bit in the intro before you got here. We didn't make her sit through the intro, guys. But (laughs) her, like, I'm just so obsessed with how cool of a person you are and, like, the amazing things you do. I've never met her, by the way. This is my first time, so I'm, like, embarrassing myself wholeheartedly. (laughs) But, like introduce yourself to the people listening tell them a little bit please tell them how cool you are <laughs> <laughs> well i'm not gonna do that but, um no i don't know how much you guys uh already said but um my name is nubi yassin and i am a uh, filmmaker poet and fine artist um 
and then also like I, I work with a nonprofit called Tone Memphis as a chief storyteller and videographer. Oh, awesome. Okay, so I knew you used to be with the collective and you did some community engagement stuff. So I was curious if you had moved over to Tone. So Tone and Collective, same org. Yeah, they we switched. Re-branded. Yeah, re-brand. yeah, we rebranded and changed our name. And I used to be the community engagement director, yes. And okay. then um, towards the beginning of, no, towards the end of last year, I transitioned fully into chief storyteller, videographer. Talk about a perfect yeah. position for you, man. <laughs> I, like, that's kind of how I introduced you. Instead of like, it's like, she does all the cool things in the art world, truly. So, I appreciate it. Yeah. So are you a lifelong Memphian or are you kind of a Memphian by choice? Yeah, I, I was born here. Awesome. I've never lived anywhere else. Oh, I've cool. been very limited places. Yeah, this is my home. But I think that there's something to be said, though, about you like being born here and also making the choice to stay here. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that wasn't always the plan, right. honestly. Um, I so and I don't. I'm definitely not alone. But like, um, just ab- of the group of people that were like, as soon as I yeah. graduate <laughs> high school, I'm out of here. I am leaving. Um, and then I got uh, linked up with the collective. Then you know, um, tone now, and um, I just I f- I was around all these creatives, and the reason why I wanted to leave is because I didn't feel I didn't see anyone doing the things that I wanted to do in mm-hmm. my city. And um and suddenly being around all these creatives who are like making a career and also like going doing the ping pong thing where they go other places right. but they always come back home mm-hmm. and I was like this is I could do this yeah. and like um, I started seeing it is more important that I stay here for other people that didn't think it was possible in this city. Um, I love that. It really reminds me of, I get really excited when I hear people say things like you just did, because one of my favorite, not that all of these interviews I do are not my favorite, but one (laughs) of my favorite interviews I've done is with James Dukes with Mm -hmm. I Make Mad Beats, and like his whole story is he did go away because the opportunity for him, he didn't see here, but he chose to come back, because to your point, Memphis has creatives, man. Yeah. I like don't think people understand that. Can you speak a little bit no, on that? Memphis is a weird, weird place, yes. and I, <laughs> I, agree. I in yeah. the best way. In the best way. In the best way. In some of the mm, ways, but that's not the people's <laughs> fault. That is infrastructural reasons purely because we have the talent and we have the drive. And I've I've heard um I've heard people say on several occasions like if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere because like this mm. city presses coal into diamonds. Like mm. the pressure you're under. Like there is so much incentive to just like give up, throw your hands up, and 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 work at any of the various factories, um, and like bless up to like the folks who end up in those situations and don't want to be there either. But like, it's really really hard to be a creative in this city, uh, because there is no incentive, there is no infrastructure, mm-hmm. and the infrastructure that we do build is heavily 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 like divested in, um, and we're trying to turn that around. Obviously, like that's the that's the goal of tones working and unapologetic and like other orgs um, like us Um, but yeah no we got the talent well that's that's exactly right and I think Mm -hmm. why um, tone is so important and again all of your creative colleagues who are not just making art and being a creative in your own right but you are lifting up other voices you are creating platforms and support systems to make sure that there are pathways so that the next person coming up from the community who says hey i have a creative voice i guess i have to leave memphis they are immediately exposed to yeah. again ways to not just do, make their art but to make a living at mm-hmm. their art and yeah. that's you know something that we talk a lot about on this program whether we're talking about visual arts or dance or music or anything in between, um, if you can't make a living here doing it, you're not going to stay here. Um, And you're going to take your art and your work and your impact to New York City or Los Angeles or Atlanta. So um, I think that work is just so important. So tell us in your, I love the title, like Chief Storyteller. That's like, that's very cool. I like it too. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Tell me what that means to you. Whose stories are you telling? Um, Ours. And when I say ours, I mean black people. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so... Our work is so, it's really, I think, like, what makes Tone special and just, like, the work that we do and, like, my work as a chief storyteller is that, like, we're very much, we are the people that we're trying to reach. Mm-hmm. Like, we all started off as, like, poor, struggling artists and, and, and still still struggling in some ways. Not going to act like we mm-hmm. all, like, got it figured out. But, like, I think because we're so directly linked to the fight that we're initiating, we have all the incentive to like keep it going and like not slack off like do right by the people because we got to do right by ourselves and i think like um all of us being black artists with certain stories like with a wide array of stories we come from all over the city um 
and like and some folks not in the city um not from the city but like have called this place home for a very long time um and then like the people that we care most about um just being really proactive about centering the story our story um and then like make it even more specific the story of orange mound the story mm-hmm. of um historic orange mound and um the people that are there whether they call themselves artists or not like black folks inherently are artists we're alchemists we like the way that we turn like inert objects into any and everything like we're poets like it's just we're yeah no, I'm, I'm, y'all gonna get me excited. I, I'm get excited, here right? for it. I love it. But yeah. to your point, the black community, you guys, to your point about being artists, are storytellers. Mm-hmm. Like as far back as yeah. it stretches. Like, it's in our blood. Yes. Like Rios. And it's like, it's literally in our ancestral history. It's mm-hmm. in our practice. Like that's um, oral storytelling and like oral history keeping is like, innate to us and I don't like I don't think we get lost on that whether we like call it the same thing or not right I I just so cool it it, well and if you're not listener if you are not familiar (laughs) with um this project and you haven't gone I mean you really I think we're so proud of the art that's coming out of Memphis and what I love about the way that you guys approach it while you are telling stories of the black community and you're telling stories of black Memphians you also let people be very individual within that so as you said like it's not we're not trying to create one big story oh here's a narrative that fits every black person in memphis or every black creative and i think that's so fascinating and i've gotten to learn about so many different just just really beautiful individuals who i don't know are coming from all different neighborhoods and backgrounds and um and they're just the ways that they're approaching that and how that informs the art that they're creating and how i mean you know we talk a lot about like what makes memphis's brand right what is it that sort of defines a city and a place and i think that we're we're really coming to that in a much more authentic way than a lot Mm -hmm. of cities do because of the work that you're doing yeah i appreciate that i appreciate that i think like i think it depends on what angle you look at it though for real though because if you look at um i feel like there are certain stakeholders certain um powers certain people in charge who want memphis to look uh very different than the reality of what it is Mm -hmm. um want it like want to center the history around um things that are not of this time. I feel like we feel like a lot more comfortable linking the city to Elvis than we do to um, Black Boy JB or mm-hmm. um, uh, what's the other dude, Pooh Shiesty or like, but that's the sound of now. That's the sound of now. Right. And that's what's pushing the culture forward. And not only just those two dudes, but like just hip hop in general, but like also the surrounding culture, just the feel of it. Like we're, we are a black city and I feel like, um, that's not being centered in the way that it should be um, to create a more holistic and, and true vision of what Memphis is. Because I think we're trying, not we, I'm not doing <laughs> it, but somebody is trying very hard to separate the image of the city from things that they deem um, un, undesirable. Well, and to our peril, because yes. what, what they're imagining is if we whitewash our city's culture, we're gonna bring more money here. Exactly, and and, and we're and it's not it's true. The opposite, and you it's think you know opposite. you look at other cities who did more authentically embrace their majority minority realities yes. and say like yeah like we're we're proud of this and you see in Atlanta mm-hmm. I, it was uh, to me a, a great example of a pure city that's really grown leaps mm-hmm. and bounds in the last couple of decades because they leaned into what is a strength having diverse talent here is something mm-hmm. and I think exactly. you know I hear more voices now in Memphis. Um, really understanding that that like having young black talent in memphis is 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 a uh feature not a bug (laughs) and i Mm -hmm. think that's something that um i mean whether they're creatives or they're pursuing you know stem or whatever it might be you know i think you know seeing so many young black entrepreneurs which Mm -hmm. you know we haven't really talked about that part of y'all's work but i mean in addition to being a creative you guys have also built this thing from the ground up um it's from where I sit been wildly successful mm. so tell us like what kind of bravery did that take um like how did you guys decide how did I mean mm. how did you take that leap um you know so I feel like if you were talking to anyone else from the org they would have like a very different answer for me so I um but we're talking to you but we're talking to me so I'm give you my answer um yeah I I think I've been very lucky because like in a very real way it didn't take it was it didn't feel like a leap mm-hmm. it didn't feel like um uh, a chance I was taking because like 
like I said, like I came in very young. I came in before like I even graduated high school. Wow. So like um and I was like and not like in in but just like surrounded by like um and naturally like started taking on the roles that I have have started taking on in recent years. But um because of that because like um I am very much like the prototype of what what the goal is like surround these mm-hmm. young creatives with so much proof that they can do it here that they're not even afraid to like do what it is that they want to do um and i think for that reason i was never afraid it was just like yeah i can do this yeah i can yeah we could do this yeah we could buy a building yeah we can have an art gallery yeah we can yeah. be um like nationally internationally like known and relevant like that was never a a, a question for me mm-hmm. i think um and I think that's test to the relevance, like not the relevance, but well, obviously that, but like just the importance and, and effectiveness of the work and mission. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank You're you. like a living embodiment of the mission, which is cool. Yeah. It, you, ha- I think it's a really interesting point you just made. How you said you didn't even question because mm-hmm. it didn't feel like a leap because you were surrounded by these people yeah. who made it feel safe. Yeah. And so since I have you here, I have to ask. What role do you feel creatives play in terms of like the society we're building mm. in Memphis? I would really love to hear your perspective on that. Yes. So, um, obviously, we play the role. It, like, I think. Um, I mean, I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, everything is 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 creatives. Whether and even if like you only think of artists as like people who paint, like mm-hmm. it's it's so much wider than that. It's the people who cook your food. It's the people who design your furniture. Who who. Um, who do your interior design. It's the people who like record the music you listen to, write the books you read, like everything. Creatives push the culture forward. And like, I'm gonna probably say that phrase a million and one other times, turn it into a drinking game, take a shot. (laughs) Um, But no, we are the change agents. Any like, um, any like um, lasting change has to also like come along with like a a cultural shift or cultural change, cultural revolution and who is leading that but creatives? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we are. We're pretty important. I would say we're pretty important to the thing. <laughs> just, just you know, mildly important. Yeah, just a you little know, bit. Just a little <laughs> tiny bit. No, I think that's just so cool because you're right. You know, creative shifts, and you can always tell the art that starts to come out like throughout history and throughout time, mm-hmm. the art movements that come out of big cultural change and cultural shifts is always identifiable, and it's really interesting to hear you speak to that about yeah. it so you actually have some really important themes as a creative in your work yeah and so I want you to talk a little about that before we dive into the TED talk and yeah. everything that led up to that I would really love the audience to hear a little bit more about the themes you tend to concentrate your yes. work around um yeah so and this is really interesting I feel like it, it just like it doesn't shift it's still the same thing but the way I describe it shifts a lot um so if I stumble through this description, but I think that's important. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it's a, I think that's a key indicator of yeah, growth. Yeah. For sure, for sure. I think like one um, one thing that's been consistent through all of it is I try to frame, not frame. I try to approach my work um, is like anthropological at its core. Um, very like it's a very much about capturing the essence of what it means to be Black in America, like what it sounds like, what it feels like, um, what it looks like, and I think. Um, in that I've like had various focus areas but as of right now um, even as recently as after (laughs) the TED talk I've like been focusing my work on um, like um, black femininity the politics around femininity as it intersects with black womanhood um, black femhood um, and also just like uh, the cult of true womanhood homemaking family black families specifically um, motherhood stuff like that that's what like a lot of my recent work has been focused on and what I probably will carry on into the future for at least a spell until I've like thoroughly worked through the thing but um yeah no I also during the time that I wrote the body of work that I shared at the TED talk I was writing a lot about gentrification and displacement because that's what I was seeing through the work Mm -hmm. that we were doing with tone and the work that I'm doing like on my own just like um seeing people lose their places um, under the guise of we're going to give you something new, um, Mm -hmm. something better, but like not asking the people what they need. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's what a lot of the TED Talk pieces were about. 
Yeah, so we've referenced the this 2020 talk, um, the placemaker, the missionary, and the conqueror. Mm-hmm. Um, so as as you you mentioned, it does um, hone in on this really challenging topic of gentrification. And, yes. You know, it's really interesting in Memphis in particular um, because I think sometimes people think that we that's not happening here. Yeah. <laughs> um, where you know there's so many you know we talk about how affordable it is here all the mm-hmm. time, and so that's you know that sort of gives people cover to say. Well, gentrification, we're not a, we're not a threat of that here yeah. when, in fact, it is happening here. Yes. And it might look a little bit different than it you know looks in the Bronx, but yeah. it is it is mm-hmm. it's, spe- it's specific here. So I'm curious, you know, you're a born and bred Memphian. Mm-hmm. You're working in these communities, creating art. Tell us from a from a street level perspective, what does what does gentrification mean yeah. to for a community in Memphis? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I want to like. Um, start this answer by going back to something that you said about like folks saying, "Oh, it's so affordable here." Affordable for who? Mm-hmm. Right. Because you showing your ass. Because a lot of <laughs> sorry, can I cuss? Yeah, you can. We'll I put think the, so. Yeah, we're gonna put the explicit thing on it, okay. but you can <laughs> swear away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, no, so much of this city is poor. So yeah. much of the mm-hmm. city is poor. So mu- so much of the city cannot afford where they're living now let alone what their spaces are turning into so when we're talking about oh it's like cheap here it's cheap for y'all because y'all came here from new york and chicago but we are in we are memphis we were born here we have lived here we work here and they do not pay us enough to live here so one i don't know what y'all are talking about well actually i do know what y'all are talking about but y'all don't know what y'all are talking about and i think like it looks like uh, gentrification here looks like um I heard someone, uh, and I, I'm blanking on their name. I wish I knew what their name was, but um, they work in like housing, um, I think like housing rights or something like mm-hmm. here. And they were talking about how like Memphis is really big for its population. Mm-hmm. So it's not even that people are people are being displaced in the sense that they are being moved, but they're not like being displaced in the sense that they won't have anywhere to go. What gentrification in this city particularly looks like is just moving black people around mm-hmm. uh, to the convenience of rich mm-hmm. white folks. It's like, oh, we want to be in this part of the city. So we need y'all gone. Y'all can live on the outskirts. And like we saw, I think like, so I uh, was a student of Memphis City Schools. Um, and I was a student through the merger. Mm. Okay. Um, and it you're was really so young, interesting. Maybe I forget yourself. Yeah, I'm sure. 21. I, I forget how freaking young you are. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, I was a student through the merger. And, um, and it was really interesting seeing how that happened. Um, and just like this, I think that was an example of, um, white flight out of the city to the outskirts. It was like we're we want to live like away from y'all outside of the city, and it's like this uh, this ring around downtown. And I think um, what's happening now is all the rich white folks are like, you know what? We want to be cool. We want to be hit. We want to live in downtown and midtown. So y'all can scoot out now. We finna we finna um, focus in this area now. And it's kind of just like this like moving of black people constantly to where we can't really build community we can't really build infrastructure because we can't get settled long enough to do that and I think like we're lucky like places like um maybe Whitehaven Whitehaven is it might it looks like they might be getting out there um but like Orange Mound feels like such a tight-knit community that like it it would probably be very very difficult to do that there. I don't think them folks going because they just been there for too long. Like it's it's too old. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, but in a lot of different places, you don't really get to see that. I think like um, Hickory Hill had the had has it feels unoptimistic to say had, um, but had the op- the opportunity to kind of be something very very special. Uh, black and brown folks linking together, doing the things building infrastructure that was directly linked to them but I think like because of gentrification it, no one can get like solid footing mm. in places like uh, Hickory Hill um and then like it's just like divested in like Hickory uh Hickory Ridge Mall remember that got tore down by the tornado never like it's a desert it's a wasteland if there were people who lived there that had um the resources or like just like the 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 political and financial power to demand that the city invest in that um that area it would not be the wasteland that it is but it's literally a ghost town um and every time i ride by it i think about how telling that is about like what where the city's um priorities are mm-hmm. um but yeah that's a really long answer. no i, I mean it's it's a, i think it's such a complex issue and i yeah. think when we talk about housing in particular it is both 
individual decisions that individuals make about where they're going to spend money or where they're going to invest right. money. But they're behind that. And, you know, to, to take some of the responsibility off of an individual's shoulders, like there is a system in place yeah. that continues to, to reward yeah. a certain way in which we develop. And I think where it becomes very insidious is when it gets, when gentrification gets wrapped in the cloak of, community investment yeah or you that's know, the worst it, it, you know, <laughs> i would rather you tell me i don't want you over here get out but this whole framing of like oh we're gonna like do something nice for y'all right. like we see y'all struggling over here we're gonna like do this thing because like that tricks half the people mm -hmm. because they think it's for them and then the other half is like wait 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 this don't feel right this don't look right and i think like in that confusion they pull the rug out from under us and all of a sudden we don't have a place we don't have our place anymore um well and you want to create systems in which the economic mobility of individuals and neighborhoods mm -hmm. make it possible for them to invest in their own neighborhoods exactly. because as you said there exactly. is you know seeing some of these uh, orange mound is the perfect example of a historic community mm -hmm. that has really deep roots where you do have multi-generational families who have who have owned homes there who continue mm -hmm. to own homes there and that's so important and i mean any city planner would tell you that like that's the yeah. bedrock whether you know of of any community that you yeah. have people who have a stake they mm -hmm. care about it as a place they want to invest in it and whether that's they're taking care of their home or they're thinking about opening a store down the road right. for their community and right. i think um you know in memphis we're just and i think this is true just for all of the ways in which we are you know have this underdog mentality where we're just like any investment's good and mm -hmm. you're like yeah, I think we're actually at a point now where we can say, like, that may not be true. Yeah. Like, we can get a little choosier about yeah. how we could do this work. But I don't want to yeah. – I, I really feel like I, could, I, <laughs> I I find this really fascinating, and it's work that – Because um, it is. It is. Mm. And Memphis, I think we have we have an opportunity, I think. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think we're too far gone to say, like, oh, we've, like, gone down this path. Yeah. I think if strong voices are really able to – to help come in and reshape some of that policy yeah. and hold people accountable. So, mm -hmm. with that in mind, <laughs> that is exactly what this TED Talk does. It is. Yeah. I, I feel like we've we've gotten very heavy, but it's a beautiful talk. I mean, Thank you really. You. I mean, it's clear that you are an artist. <laughs> as you, uh, shout as out, you. Madam Frankie. She's playing the guitar yes. while I'm performing. Totally beautiful. So let's get to it. We're going to take a listen to Nubia's 2020 TED Talk titled "The Placemaker, the Missionary, and the Conqueror." <laughs> Behind me will be a photo by artist Lawrence Matthews, um, and it's a photo from his collection To Disappear Away, which is a photo series that takes a close look at the effects of gentrification on poor black and brown neighborhoods. I have three poems for you guys, and they're kind of about that too. The first one is called A Placemaker, A Missionary, A Conqueror. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. The placemaker and the missionary have tea in my kitchen. They sip this tea from my cups, from my cupboards, in my kitchen, in my house. I am in the kitchen, but I am not at the table. They speak, but not with me. The placemaker and the missionary discuss creation and creators, God and places, room to deny the existence of both, I suppose, room to build one or the other if you think the world void of it. The placemaker and the missionary discuss the God in the building, the white in the carpenter, the good and the intentions, needless to say, they think themselves good and intent. The conqueror was disinvited to tea. The placemaker and the missionary say, see, we're progressive. The conqueror was disinvited. We are not like the conqueror. We do not take without asking. Sure, we give, we give without asking what is needed but we have read all about you and your house and your kitchen and your cups and your cupboards and your tea and know just what you need. There is no knock at the door. The conqueror lets himself in, comes to tea anyway, 
takes long sips between words, takes. They all use the same cologne and the same aftershave and the same toothbrush. So what was scraped from the placemaker and the missionary's teeth in the morning is still caked under the tongue. The conqueror both boasts and denies bad breath. And so they talk about breath and breathing and whether or not I need those things in my neighborhood and what may benefit me more if they built it in the center of my lung. For what reason would I need to breathe deeply? No. What I need is a thorn in my side to remind me of how much space I am taking up at any given moment. They all remind me that the process is necessary, all in the same voice, at the same time, in my house, in my kitchen, me in my places. Room to deny the existence of both, I suppose. Room to break one down if it be in the way of you revitalizing the other. The placemaker says, wouldn't you like to have a place to stand and listen? We'll build it here, the conqueror or the missionary says, wouldn't I like to have a place to kneel and pray? We'll build it here, the conqueror, between the long sips he takes and takes. He say, you ain't got no kitchen no more. So that was the first one. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so while that one addressed uh, issues around losing or space, physical space being taken, um, this next one addresses more abstract ideas related to identity being borrowed, so to speak. You want the brown boy for killing and for kissing the brown girl for spreading and making small. You want mammy's titty for your babies, but our babies can't play with your babies. And you want our shea butter holy, our beauty supply and switch when we walk, our stories, our hood, you want our angry, but you don't want us angry. You want us make you a plate, want Tasha to do your hair like hers, when I fleek laid in jungle boogie all the while, sleeping without a shiver of limbs or lingering fear of everything that wants you sacrificial, once you bled out all over a star-spangled banner, could you survive this kind of summer, let alone make it to cracks in your lips winter? Is the skin on your back thick enough? Could you handle? birthing the casket along with the baby. Give them a name that memorializes their dead cousins. How do you reconcile? Taking our all and throwing the carcass of black to wayside, even our skins, folded between handkerchief and kept as souvenir, the borrowed you keep in your left breast pockets. Um, I just have one more, uh, one more poem for you guys. And while the first two focused more on things stolen, things taken, this one is very much about all the things that cannot be taken from us. Uh, so yeah. For my people, for baby girls in beaded braids and bird-chested pot-bellied baby boys who be singing by their pinkies and their thumbs and falling asleep in service and sticking their tongues through the gaps in their teeth with Kool-Aid red mouths and hot Cheeto fingers and places to go and new words to learn and best friends to make and so they ain't got no time for dying. This be for the sometimes when they do just that too. For my people, for the fan waving, always hot aunties, always hollering aunties who make hard pews soft from wear, and knees worn from prayer, who be praying 
and praying and asking and hoping and hoping to big boy cousins, protecting cousins, always outside up to no good, wish a nigga would cousins who make leave money in the mailbox or a cereal box or a shoe box or a box spring for their mothers to find, for groceries, for rent, for bail, for my people, for my dreamy eyes dreaming their dreams and making their art and moving in and moving out and being broke and hungry but ready and restless for the tired eyes, too young to be this tired eyes in FedEx hubs and Nike factories who still be dreaming but only when they sleep. For the blush black and the bruised black and the high yellow black and the black that's too ashamed to say it's black and the black unashamed and loud all my people is loud and hush-mouthed and a hum in a choir of bug-mouths and immortal and impossibly angry and a stretched skin bursting black jubilee and earthbound and sky-prone and sharp darkness and brilliant light and baby girls and beaded braids and bird-chested pot-bellied baby boys who deserve and deserve and deserve for my people. Let my skin folk breathe better air, sleep better at night, live better in waking as we move towards this new world where the sun shines black. Thank you. That talk, man. <laughs> Let's just, like, you are such an artist and poetry in my point of view, is one of the ultimate forms of expression. And I think that it's just this way of showing different shades of the human experience through storytelling and word. And you did that. So that's (laughs) one of my first questions is what made you decide, besides obviously your background and love for the art form, but Mm. what made you decide to go that route as opposed to a traditional TED talk? Yeah. So, huh. Um, it's interesting. So the way that I even got that spot yeah. uh, on TEDx Memphis is, uh, funny enough, Elliot Perry. Love um, it. Love <laughs> Elliot Perry. Elliot Perry bought one of my first pieces of art. Like, No, not one of. He bought, he was the person that I sold my first piece of art to. Well, well Elliot um, is a tastemaker. And his, yes. Yes. <laughs> we'll know him as a basketball player. Yes, as we know. He has the largest I'm not a sports fan, but he has art. an yes, incredible yes. art collection. Like, yes. really, like incredible so sure. yes. but um he sent me an email he was like hey they want me to do a talk but like uh i ain't really got the time <laughs> so like but i told him about you and how like your performance like he's a really big fan of my of my poetry so he's awesome. like your poetry is amazing you should do it on ted like on the ted talk stage um and so i was never gonna do a speech mm-hmm. it was always gonna do i was always gonna be poetry oh awesome um but yeah that's how i ended up doing that yeah i i think that i always love to hear it's almost like an origin story yeah. of people's <laughs> ted talks i always like to hear how they got to the ideas how they formulated yeah. them so it's just such a cool memphis full full circle moment to hear yeah. you say it was elliot it was who elliot did it <laughs> because to anna's point most people know him because of the sports angle but like i as somebody who wasn't inherently born in memphis and just moved here after mm-hmm. college like i know elliot because he is such a large art collector yes. and working in the art scene mm-hmm. so i just it's so cool to me to get those stories about memphis yeah just how all the dots connect so let's jump right into it yeah. i want to know so you started your talk you let off by putting up a photo by artist artist goodness yeah. guys i'm <laughs> having a time today artist lawrence matthews yeah. and it was from his collection to disappear away. Yes, yes. And I know you guys can't see it's not a visual podcast, but mm-hmm. when you inevitably go look up Nubia's TED Talk after this on YouTube, you can see it. But it's a huge for sale on a billboard, yeah. essentially in lettering. Yeah. Why that image? Why did you decide to start yeah, with yeah. that? Uh, so first of all, shout out Lawrence Matthews. Mm-hmm. Um, Snaps. I don't. I need an applause <laughs> button. I don't have one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. So um, that body of work he worked on. I'm I'm really blanking. The whole 2020 pandemic is making me not know when things were last year, (laughs) two years ago, but a while ago, (laughs) he was uh, taking all these photos um, focused on like um, just black people disappearing from their spaces or their spaces being stolen from them. Um, And that particular photo is like um, right at the the bridge that connects, I think, uh, Midtown into Orange Mound or 
I'm not really good at areas either, but like it's just the bridge that you take to get into Orange Mound. Mm-hmm. Um, the sign is right there and it's facing outward, um, away from Orange Mound, as if like this ominous message is like, this whole area is for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt like there was no other photo that I could use yeah. to, to preface the, the body of work. It truly was representative mm-hmm. of the work that you went into and what everyone just got to hear. And to what we were saying earlier about poetry being such an interesting art form and the way you gave this talk, it's just, you know, it's one of those art forms that is interpreted by the receiver, much mm-hmm. like painting is the same way. And so I am so excited to have you here to walk through the three yeah. things that you did. And so the first one, let's just jump into yes. it because that image, again, perfect because the first one really focused on space. Yes. And you explored kind of the difference of intentionality versus reality yes. of having space. Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, so, and that's one, that one's placemaker, missionary, conqueror, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just trying to make sure I remember yes. that. Yes. But, um, yeah, that one is um, is a very specific um, image about, like, someone being in their kitchen, in their home, and then there are three people at their kitchen table drinking up all their tea, eating all their food, breathing up all their air, talking about all the things they're going to do with their home without consulting the homeowner. Mm-hmm. And um, that one... Um, it really, you know, it's funny. So we had an event. I'm not going to say which event. Um, it's not important anyway. But, um, <laughs> we, re- we had an event at the complex. It's now called Tone, Tone Headquarters. We had an event at the complex where I performed this poem. And um, and a white man came up to me, and he had, like, like a wine on his breath. And he's, like, very, uh, very tipsy and was just like, yeah, no, I understand that piece. Like, I feel like, I feel like I'm, like, on the other side of it though like I'm like not and I'm just like you don't even know that you're doing the thing like this in this you are doing the thing that I'm talking about um and just like talking about the 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 brazenness of folks coming into places they're very unfamiliar with don't know anything about it but like presuming that they know everything that needs to be done needs to be fixed like oh I know you got bad plumbing and you need fresh fruit and you need da 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 and it's like these things are good and fine but you did not ask me what it is that I actually need and what I already have um and it's just all ego work yes. it's like folks want to feel like they're they're good people and don't want to actually do the work of good people mm. yeah it's that intention right when good intent is not enough yeah and I think it really speaks to the fact that newness in itself is not always bad, mm-hmm. but new is bad if you don't keep the people you're making the new for in mind. Right. Because who is it for then? Yes. And mm-hmm. I think that's what your work as a whole speaks to, to so eloquently. Thank you. More eloquent than I'm speaking this morning. I'm jumping <laughs> all over the place. You're fine. You're fine. But just you fine. get into, you know, that leads so well. Like these build upon each other as mm-hmm. you give this talk and you lead into the second one, which focuses more around identity yes a little bit and it's more how modern culture and honestly if we think about it culture spanning as a whole Mm -hmm. picks and chooses yeah what to highlight from the black and brown narrative yes and it doesn't really like to give those people the mic yeah though yeah exactly so hit me with it elaborate i i just want to know all the things (laughs) today yeah i feel like i mean it's kind of that but yeah no this piece is called want to borrow and it um is very much about this like weird dichotomy between like we love black people and we love everything they make and also like we hate them and want them to die um and we love everything that you do on other people like we love it on other people but we don't love it on you Mm -hmm. like i remember uh not not too long ago i saw this video um on the internet and it was this like um non-black woman and she had like uh, cornrows in her hair and she was like I got an interview tomorrow so I'm gonna take these out and straighten my hair oh. and then um there was a woman who like um a black woman who was like talking about the video and she was like see this that shit because we cannot like, if even if I take my cornrows out like my hair will still be my hair mm-hmm. um and I can't like pick and choose when I want to like embrace a thing or when I want to be a thing I am black all the time and I don't like um I can't run away from that, and that's what the poem is basically about. It's like, if you want to sell, if you want to take these things, you want you want Tasha to do your hair like hers, and you want our fleek laid and jungle boogie and all that stuff. Like, um, do you also want um, airbrush uh, t-shirts when your cousin dies and baby size caskets 
and uh, constantly trying to beg people to see you as human and not shoot you down in the street. Like, do you want that stuff too? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what that poem is, is about. Yeah, it's definitely about picking and choosing that mm-hmm. narrative lifestyle. Like you said, it's not a pick and choose for yeah. the people living it. And then it leads into the third, mm-hmm. which they're all so powerful and good. But the third one for mm-hmm. me, when I listened to that in that TED talk, um, because last year's TED conference was the first one since I've worked in New Memphis, I got to be a part of mm-hmm. and get to actually witness. And I just remember when you were delivering in practice that yeah. third one, the narrative mm-hmm. you painted yeah. was just incredible because you could see it. You could see the words coming out of your mouth, like, in your mind kind Mm -hmm. of like reading a book which I just loved and so it was more about ownership and Mm -hmm. the things that can't be taken away and it kind of led up that trio so flawlessly Mm -hmm. and so I just want to know like how did you decide to wrap it up that way Mm -hmm. yeah I knew I needed to to not end it centering white folks um and that poem is called For My People, and I wrote it in, uh, it's after a, a poem by the same title uh, by Margaret Walker. Please read her version. Okay, yeah. Um, listeners, read her version. Um, but, writing it down. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, no, it was just all about the things that are, like you said, like that cannot be taken from mm-hmm. us. That things that, like, we are born with, that we wear like skin, that um, they just, they don't go away. And that's the good and the bad things. It's like. Um, and yeah, but that one, a lot of times when I perform that one, I cry. Um, I didn't cry on the TEDx stage, uh, but, but, um, but that one, it feels like an ode. It's more like, I'm like, okay, I'm just talking, like, I feel like the first two, I was talking to everyone. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, I'm just talking to black people. Um, but yeah, that's my favorite thing to do when I get to just make work for us. Well, a piece of that that I just want to quote to reiterate even though I know people just heard your TED talk was mm-hmm. like you said as we move toward a new world where the sun shines black yeah. and that's how you ended that is just powerful sentiment and kudos to you so after hearing your TED talk after getting a little more from you about what it meant to you to deliver it and what it meant for you to write it what do you hope people take away after hearing your talk hmm I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> you, you stumped me for the first Perfect. time. Perfect. You have time to think. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I feel, and I'm like, the reason why I'm struggling with this answer is because yeah. I think like, um, I'm trying to, it, feel, it probably sounds really counterintuitive, but I'm trying to separate the work I make from this desire for solutions. Ah, um, yeah. And um, in, in that space, I think I make the best work, but also like have the toughest time answering questions like that right um i think it just depends on i I want you to take whatever you took from it that's what i want you to take well i think that's why i like this ted talk so much Mm -hmm. because it doesn't it's not like here's here's the problem here's the solution let me walk you through it it's really just provoking yeah a a feeling um Mm -hmm. and sort of putting a question out there without necessarily having the answer to it exactly because in a real way i think like like I do like activism work. I do like um like work um like community work. Obviously, like that's a part of my identity too. But like, as an artist, I'm really centering myself in this idea. Like that, as an artist, that is not my job. Mm. That's not what I'm trying to do right. with my art specifically. I can do other things that like speak directly to solutions. When we work with the young people, when we work with the community, like that, I feel invigorated in. That I feel in, um, like we can find solutions and want to center solutions. In my art, I do not want to be burdened by trying to solve the problem that I am living through. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a great answer. I think. The answer there is just, it's to feel something. No matter what you feel when you walk away from hearing your talk, that's not on you to Mm -hmm. how, like I said earlier, like poetry, like most art is something on the receiver. Like how is it received? And I think you're just leaving people with a feeling and what they do with that is on them. Mm -hmm. Um, So before you go, well, we've talked a lot about like, we got super heavy. We talked about your awesome TED talk. I really would like to focus on what are some organizations in our city specifically mm-hmm. that are getting it right in representation of black and brown voices yeah. that people could get involved in? Um, yeah, I would get involved in. 
I don't know. But um, or support whatever. <laughs> yeah, support, yeah. support. Definitely support Tell Memphis. Support unapologetic. Um, also think um, immediately when you started uh, talking uh, before you said the thing specifically about uh, black and brown folks. Uh, I thought about Out Memphis mm. uh, yeah. because um, I love what they're doing with like particularly with like uh, displaced like uh, queer youth. Yes. Um, so look into Out Memphis. Support Out Memphis. Do the things like those are. I would name those three. Yeah. Awesome. I think those are great. So mm-hmm. we talked about that. I want to know before we let you go. Yeah. Tell she the keeps people. saying that. She's like, I'm I know, never going to get out of here. You're stuck here forever. I'll Teach me your ways. No, I, I do want you to tell the people, though, before you go, how can they follow you? How can they learn more about your work yeah. that you're doing in the community? Um, yeah, so you can follow me. I'm mostly, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Twitter, I'd be acting a fool. Instagram, I'm a little <laughs> more professional. So depending on what you want. That's what Twitter's for, right? That's what Twitter's for. But um, yeah, on Twitter and Instagram, I am at Nubia Yassin, N-U-B-I-A-Y. I-A-S-I-N. Um, you can follow me there. And then, I don't know, maybe I'll get a website eventually and become yeah. like a real adult. And guys, look into Tone and I see was the like, work yeah, look doing. at Tone. Yeah, Tone yeah. Memphis on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. We're just deeply glad to have you here in Memphis. So thank I, you for the work you do. Thank you guys yeah. for inviting me. It's great to see you. Thank you again for listening to This Is, uh, this is Meanwhile in Memphis. We are on WYXR FM 91.7 radio. Thanks to them every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. We also release this as a podcast every Tuesday at 9.01 a.m. Um, so, um, again, we're coming to you from New Memphis, a local nonprofit organization. As we roll into this fall, um, a couple of things we want you to be aware of. We um, offer a series of leadership development programming for folks from college age through your most senior level leaders. And right at this moment, we are looking for those college students. So we are uh, opening up our next Accelerate class. Accelerate is a free three-month program that offers college students the skills and networks necessary to launch successful careers in Memphis. So over the course of a semester at this free program, students who participate get to, again, build on some professional skills, really kind of try on um, some of that, that, that necessary learning to be successful in the workplace. But But as important to that, they're going to meet other young professionals, other mid-career senior leaders. They're going to get some mentorship. They're going to get advice, gain insight on local career paths. The whole intention here is at the end of the program, they're immediately going to be able to step into a paid internship in Memphis. Um, So it's a really special opportunity. It is specifically for um, juniors and seniors in college. Um, So we're looking for college students. They, They have to be in the Memphis area, so they could be over at the University. University of Memphis, Lemoyne Owen, uh, CBU. We've had some Rhodes students. Um, we've had a couple of folks from other outside uh, schools who are in Memphis. Um, so that will be starting up in early September. The deadline for their applications are October. I'm sorry, August 1. Um, the fall is just one big month to me. It it's just truly a burr. Is. <laughs> um, so again, uh, this is a great program. If you have a young person in your life, maybe it's uh, maybe it's an intern that's in your office right now. If you're like, man, this kid's sharp. Maybe it's um, your son, daughter, your niece, your nephew, your friends, kids, whatever it might be, the kid down the street, um, any college student who you think can really benefit from this program, who's looking, who's you know really exceptional and looking for that next leg up. Um, it's an incredible program. You can go to newmemphis.org, learn more about the Accelerate program. You can nominate a young person, so just drop their name and email address. We'll reach out to them or just pass the information along and encourage them to apply. So there is that. And then in another fall month of September, Christine, yes. what uh, what must people be aware of? Well, guys, if you didn't know, we are the 901. So on 901 Day, which is September 1st of this year, New Memphis will be hosting our annual exposure event. We all know Memphis is magical, right? right? If you don't know Memphis is Magical, you're doing it wrong. And that's why you need to come to Exposure. We are going to, it's a little bit of a smaller event than we usually do. Um, Obviously, out of our favorite phrase, an abundance of caution, we're trying to just take the pandemic under consideration and map that out as best as we can as we go. But the same magic is there, just a little different. So, Gosh, when you come, you're going to be able, Old Dominic's going to be there with tastings. We'll have Mempops available. Our friends at WIXR will be manning the stage on the plaza at the FedEx Forum. There's so many opportunities for you to get involved. We're going to have someone doing headshots for college students as a free opportunity there. 
And honestly, who knows? We may not limit it to college students. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You don't know. But come down to the FedEx Forum on 901 Day. You guys, it's from 5 to 6.30. You'll have all the time in the world to get a sense of the magic of Memphis fun. Yeah, it's free. It's fun. October 1st. I've said that every time. I don't know why. It's okay. People are going to show up to the forum on October 1st and be like, Anna said. September 1st. September 1st, 901 day. I'm going to get booted out of Memphis if I keep doing that. Yes. Um, And free, fun uh, FedEx forum. Five to six thirty. Yeah, go to exposurememphis.com to learn more. And we really, really, really want to see you there and to get involved. So I think, Anna, that we've gabbed enough today. I've said I the word cool literally no little amount than five hundred and ninety seven times. We're gonna create a chart that's like the <laughs> amount of times we say cool yeah. versus how cool something is. And uh, it's gonna be a direct inverse relationship. The amount of times I say cool to how cool I am as a person is exponentially yes. different. So <laughs> Well, yeah, I think we did it today. We've yeah. uh, we packed this one full, but thank you guys for listening again. This is Meanwhile in Memphis. We will see you next week. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye.